Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Well, hey, my name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View Christian Church, and we're launching in a series brand new this week. Uh, And we're looking at five simple practices that will help you share your faith without feeling cringy about it. You know, as we're jumping into this, uh, I had this this experience kind of a a few months back. I was grocery shopping and I was coming to my car and I was loading my groceries in the back and then I went around to my door and I found something rolled up and tucked into the handle of my door. And so I I pulled this out and uh, it was a very well done, intentional piece of paper. It was printed and looked nice and it was in this, uh, you know, page protector. Somebody had invested a lot of time in it. And so I took it out and I looked and at the top it reads prayer of repentance. As you say this prayer, do it with your whole heart, knowingly acknowledging every word. And it has a very longish, detailed prayer of repentance uh, and to, to how to place your faith in what Jesus has done for you. And so what was uh, interesting about this is that I never met the individual who took a lot of time and effort to place this on my car that, that I would find it that day. Uh, and so here's the thing, as, as I'm sharing the story, right, some of you are just feeling uh, cringy and anxious about this, uh, this method that somebody used to, to try and share their faith with me. Uh, others of us, we might feel a sense of guilt around this, that we know faith is supposed to be so important to us and so well, we wouldn't maybe necessarily do this, you might feel guilty that, well, at least that person did something rather than a lot of times we feel like I'm doing nothing when it comes to sharing my faith. Um, but here's the thing. I believe that the heart of this individual, uh, what, what they hoped for, that was in the right place, okay? What was off was that the outcome they hoped to experience is what was missing. Their intention was good, but the outcome was off because faith is always meant to be something that we share that's personal, okay? And so uh, not like, you know, faith is personal, like we often talk about it. Uh, Many of us feel like faith is a personal thing. And so, uh, you know, just I don't want anyone to ask me about it and we shouldn't talk about it. Uh, And that's a very common view that we might hold when it comes to our faith. But when we talk about faith as, as Christians, by which I mean those who are actively following Jesus, I mean that faith should be personal in the sense that we personally share it, that in, in the person and work of Jesus, uh, that Jesus reveals a personal God who steps into our story as people and meets us where we're at. And so because of that, we are, we are called to share our faith similarly in personal, in re- real relational ways, not in impersonal ways. Uh, and so some of you might be uh, tempted to check out at this point of this message. You're, you're like, I'm already uncomfortable uh, sharing faith. Like, oh, uh, maybe we had weird experiences with it in our past. Maybe we just like, again, really think that, nope, nope, that's not something that you should ever, ever do, or we, we struggle with that. Um, but even if, you're, even if you have questions, Uh, Even if you're struggling with faith right now, I believe that this is going to be a worthwhile conversation for any of us to engage with. 
because we are living in a time where it is so difficult to truly share with one another uh, just the important matters uh, in, our, in our lives and to have a, a conversation based upon mutual respect and trust, that's something that really is lacking in our society today. And so I believe that this is gonna be fruitful uh, for you to listen to this conversation because we all need help understanding one another better about what matters most to us in the context of our real life relationships. You know, in a few months, uh, if you're joining us live, we're gonna be celebrating Christmas. And Christians, sometimes we talk about uh, Christmas from a, from a biblical standpoint of celebrating the incarnation which is a term that kind of literally means in the flesh. That at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus became like us somehow in order to be with us. This is, this is a biblical view, a biblical understanding of how God worked in the person and work of Jesus. And so if this is how God approaches us in the incarnation, choosing to become like us in order to be with us, why so often in our discussions about sharing faith is faith uh, seen as very unrelational in that approach? That sharing faith is somehow uh, rolling up stuff and sticking it in a, in a, in a door handle, or it's, it's somebody else's job to do that, that we don't really think of sharing our faith as something that is highly relational or how to do that in the context of relationships. Uh, but hopefully, no matter where you are, in, in your faith journey, that that would be something that we could agree with, that we need, to, we need to share what matters most in the context of those real life relationships. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you might be wondering like, okay, yeah, you're nodding your head, you're agreeing, but how do I actually share my faith when it feels like the world does not want me to do that? Right? And that's not just a feeling that, that is, you know, something within you. There's actually some verifiable evidence data out there to support that. Uh, in the book, Good Faith, uh, the Barna Research Group a few years back did a study and they discovered that 60%, six out of 10 adults in the United States um, reported that uh, evangelism, sharing one's faith with the hope that somebody else might, uh, you know, convert to you or, or embrace your faith, uh, that that practice of evangelism would be viewed as extremist behavior, behavior by 60%. The majority of Americans would say evangelism is an extremist behavior. And so that's more than a feeling for you. Simply put, our society believes that sharing faith is not just merely an uncomfortable conversation, that sharing your faith is actually something that is wrong, that you shouldn't do, that you should avoid. And so what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, one of the things we know is that we can't rely on or go back to impersonal methods of sharing our faith, okay? We just can't go there. Not because God cannot use this. God can use anything, uh, I believe, and, and I think scripture attests to, but that the reality is that these kind of methods are not clearly expressing who Jesus is to the world around us, and the results are really showing. And so then it begs the question, well, where do we start? Where do we begin? Well, we begin by seeking to bless others. And that's really the series that we're going to be in. Uh, we encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to get, to get a simple book in, for this series called Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and to Change Your World. 
Uh, and so the practices we're going to be looking at for, for five weeks come straight out of this book. If you've been following Jesus for a little while, there's going to be nothing new in here. It's incredibly simple practices that we can embrace. But here's the thing. Often our, not, our, our problem with following Jesus, our problem even with sharing our faith, is not a knowledge problem. It's a practice problem. We need to put into practice some of the things that we already do know. Uh, and so in the book, it opens with this story. And why, why blessing? Right? Why do we start there? And, and why, why is that the place to begin? Uh, and so the book opens with the story of uh, a doctoral dissertation entitled Blessers versus Converters. Right? And so exciting stuff, right? But hang with me. Uh, the, the dissertation really followed, uh, it followed two sets of missionaries who went to the same country at the same time, uh, same region, and it tracked their, their different approaches. One group, the converters, their sole goal was to just save souls. It was just evangelism. It was converting people uh, with, with intellectual arguments. And so that was their strategy. The blessers, uh, their strategy was kind of summed up in, hey, we are going to seek uh, to, to bless the community and the region that we're in and share with whomever God sends our way. And so the study kind of uh, tracked these two groups. And so what was interesting, maybe unexpected, was this, that the converter group, after two years' time, had brought one convert to, to their faith. Uh, that they, uh, they got a convert after two years of work. The blesser group, the blessers, uh, they saw 48 people come to faith. But not only that, by, by beginning with seeking to bless the community, they saw an, an increase in the health in the community that they were in, a betterment of the community, an increase in social capital. And so this is, this is fascinating, right? That one strategy was nearly 50 times more effective. And that's why we're in this series, because for many of us, if we're following Jesus, we could be struggling with, man, we want to see a bigger impact our faith. We want to see more people embrace the hope and love and the joy that we've come to experience, but man, it just doesn't seem like it's happening to the degree which we would want. And so we have to learn how to become blessers. Uh, and so we're going to begin actually by seeing that this is a biblical idea from the very outset. It was God's desire to bless the entire world. And so in a moment, we're going to look at uh, the promise made to Abram, who would later become Abraham, and see that that's God's original intent. Then we're going to jump to uh, the New Testament and see really this first practice of how we can bless our neighbors. And our neighbors being literal neighbors on our block or on our apartment floor or our dorm floor uh, and, and getting to know them. But it could be classmates. It could be uh, coworkers. It could be people on our team. Neighbors being those whom are around us that we, that we share life with, that are, that are in our sphere, so to speak. And so let's begin by kind of looking at God's heart really to bless the entire world. Uh, look with me, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. 
And so right in Genesis is the first book uh, of, of the Bible. And right in the opening, we see here that God's interaction with people, his desire to bless the entire world. But as you go on, if you read more of the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, uh, you'll see that God's people were pretty much on the struggle bus when it came to actually blessing the world around them. They didn't really do that great of a job. Uh, there, there are moments, there are kind of these, these shining examples here and there of when they did that. But by and large, uh, they, they really failed. They kind of got wrapped up in fear in selfishness, in worshiping any god or idol that they thought would bring them comfort or security or status to the world around them. Uh, in short, they weren't different than the world. Uh, really, they, they chased after what we kind of maybe sometimes uh, might jokingly or literally refer to as that hashtag blessed life, right? that, that, that somehow our pursuit of God is wrapped up in greater wealth and the protection of our own personal health. Now, why God's people largely failed to be a blessing to the world around them uh, and, and why that got off track and why you and I, even today, get wrapped up in our pursuit of God being about my health and my wealth, uh, that's a discussion for another day. But why we want to look at this passage right now is to see clearly that it's God's desire to bless the entire world. And what you need to know as we fast forward, as we're jumping into the New Testament, this part of the Bible really shows us, it reveals that the fulfillment of God's plan to bless the entire world comes through Jesus, that that's the fulfillment of that plan. Because here's the thing, 2,000 years after Jesus' death, his followers are still gathering today all over the world, all around the world, bringing hope, bringing, bringing healing, bringing comfort, meeting the needs of others, seeking to bless the world. Now, you might be joining us. You might have questions about faith. You might even be kind of resistant to faith right now in your life, if you're being honest with me. But it's undeniable that followers of Jesus are actively blessing the world around us it's really the fulfillment of this promise that was made to Abram thousands and thousands of years prior. And here's the reality, whether you want to, you want to embrace faith or whether you're uh, in a period of questioning, doubting, or whether you're even resistant to it, if every church was just snapped out of existence right now, the results would be catastrophic for the care and the welfare of people globally. And so back to you and I today, where do we begin with this? Um, why, as followers of Jesus, does it seem like we're just not making the kind of impact that we would like? That, that we desperately have this message of hope. Faith has been so foundational. It's carried us through such difficult times. And we just want others to know that and to share that and to, and to experience the source of what we, we sometimes call true life. Right? We, we just want to share that. But We've got friends or family that they really don't want anything to do with our faith. They, they just, they roll their eyes or they say, no, no just, I, I don't want to hear it, right? Um, maybe we want to share, but we just become paralyzed. We never do because like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to, how to start a conversation. And so we never even open our mouths and get started just because we don't know where to begin. Well, and here's the thing that I love about the series we're in. This first practice we're looking at you don't have to say one word to somebody else to get started because the first practice that we're looking at today to be a blessing to our neighbors is to begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Now, 
prayer, if we're a person of faith, may be important to us, or at least we know it is. We know we should practice it. We know it should be foundational. But prayer in, in, in the church space, sometimes it can kind of be like flossing, right? It's something that we know is good, we know is healthy, uh, and, but we kind of put off. It's easy to just, oh yeah, I need to get around to that and, and not do it and not engage with it until we've got a problem. And, and then we re-engage with that. And so prayer can kind of kind of function that way. Maybe for you, the struggle is just like, man, I don't, I don't know the words to say. I don't know where to begin with prayer. But really, I think our biggest struggle with prayer revolves around this reality. And it's a lie, I believe, that sometimes we buy into. You know what, God? I prayed really hard for something at some point prior in my life. And I didn't see the results that I wanted to. I, like, I needed you to show up and you didn't. So you know what? I'm just not really interested in engaging with this prayer thing because it didn't work for me. Right? We are so pragmatic as people. And so I want us to kind of help us understand really the role of prayer in our lives. I think if we understand that, we're going to be more willing to engage in this foundational practice to be a blessing to others. Uh, and, and so we can all begin with prayer. So we're going to look at Luke 11, uh, beginning in verse 5, to see Jesus' heart for us, how prayer works, and how we can begin with this first practice. Uh, Luke 11, verse 5 says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so the first part of this prayer is fairly obvious that prayer doesn't work by us just like shooting up a request and then we immediately get what we want. Prayer is not like us submitting our request to God and then he Amazon primes us down from heaven whatever we ask for within 24 hours. Uh, really what we see from this first half of this teaching is that God expects our prayers to be both regular and bold with our prayer requests. That we come to God boldly and regularly with our prayer requests. And so if our desire is for others in our life to come to experience the hope and the purpose and the peace and the joy and the life that comes from the faith that we profess, right, then, then our prayers need, there's no shortcut around those. We need to, we need to approach that, those kind of prayers a little bit differently. We need to learn to pray with what Jesus says here, shameless audacity. We are invited to pray with shameless audacity. Here's the thing. I would wager that for the vast majority of us, we would say, that does not describe my prayer time. And you know what? Confession time, it doesn't describe mine either right now. Like, there's some work that I need to do in this series, just like many of you do, that, that we need to really recommit ourselves to praying the way that Jesus invites us to pray. 
But again, you might be struggling, but okay, yeah, I know I need to pray more, but why does God want me to pray over and over again with, with just passion and enthusiasm and continually ask him for, for the same request week after week, year after year, maybe even decade after decade? Why doesn't he just give me something if it's a good thing? Well, first of all, we're talking about praying for other people. We have to recognize that you're praying for a person. You're not praying for a thing. They have, and everybody, each and every one of us has a choice to make whether or not we're going to embrace and engage with a relationship with God, if we're going to pursue God in our lives. While at the same time, our prayers somehow interact with the hearts and the inner lives of others in a way that ultimately is mysterious, that we don't understand, but God says that it does make a difference. And so we kind of hold that intention. But Another thing that we can know about prayer is that prayer is not about me getting what I want. That is not the purpose and the point of prayer. Really, prayer is about increasing our awareness that we are known by God and that, we, that our core identity is revealed as being someone who is known and loved and cared for by God and that prayer reveals that in a way. And so that we can experience the heart of God for whom the Bible says is unseen. We can experience God's heart for us in, in a completely unique way, only through prayer. And that this, this ends up changing how you and I view ourselves and how, we, how that identity gets changed leads to a change in our behavior to pray with the shameless audacity that God would continue to work on the hearts and the minds of our neighbors. But then how do we make sense of this second half of the teaching, which appears to be a a wild disconnect between many of our experiences? Read with me again in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so it seems, right, like Jesus is saying here, well, if you just ask me for what you want, you're going to get what you request. It seems pretty straight away. But again, that's not the experience of many of us, at least, of how our, our prayer time goes. And so what do we do about that? How do we make sense of this in terms of living out our faith in a, in a real way? Well, there's some things that we need to understand. First, God's desire for us in prayer, again, is not to get what we want. God's desire is that we would experience the ultimate good that he has in store for us. And so because our prayers, the vast majority of prayers that that I have observed and seen and been requested of us over the years kind of center around financial support and stability and then for healing and or protection from illness and disease. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with, with any of those prayers. But if the content of our prayers are almost exclusively focused on our health and our wealth, we're gonna miss the, the central reason why we pray in the first place. Uh, because our prayers are not, again, just focused on, on our own well-being. Or they're not intended to focus just on our own well-being. Prayer, first and foremost, is how we begin to know God's heart for ourselves and then how we begin to be changed from the inside out. And that comes through prayer. Really, the point of prayer is this. 
Prayer teaches me who I really am before God. This is the central reason why God wants us to pray, that we could truly know who we are before him. And when I know my identity, then I can know more clearly what it is that God's calling me to do. I can know more clearly how to become a blessing to others because, again, I'm going to choose actions that are in line with what God wants me to do. I'm going to choose words that reflect the character of who God is and to extend that into the fabric of my social relationships. And so maybe this will help. Let's take the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look in Matthew 26 in a moment at this. But Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane about 2,000 years ago, in, in the early morning hours, in the darkness of that moment, Jesus was being tempted to opt out of the identity that God had for him. See, he was struggling with going to the cross because he knew the agony of the suffering that he was about to endure, not just physically, but spiritually. And so in this moment, Jesus is struggling with this identity because he knows his mission clearly. His mission was to come, to die in the place of every single one of us to pay the price for our sin, to redeem that so that that barrier that we all naturally and intuitively feel that there's a barrier between us and God, that Jesus came to remove that, to bridge that gap, to deal with that sin so that we can be reunited and connected to God. That was his mission as the Messiah. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's struggling with, with that. The temptation for Jesus there is to not live out of that identity, to choose to, to, choose to uh, not live that way. And so look at Jesus' prayer time here in the garden. In Matthew 26, verse 39, we read, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. And this is the key to understanding the dance and the balance between praying with a shameless audacity for what I want God to do and what I want to see him to do in my life and in the hearts and the minds of my neighbors and the world around me, while at the same time being open-handed to God and saying, but not, not what I want, but what you will, God. And so that's really the key to understanding prayer. Uh, as, you, as you read the Bible and as you read different teachings on prayer, this really becomes the key to understanding all of it. And the question really is, do I really want what God wants? Or if I'm honest, I just want God to do for me what I want him to do. So very two different places to process prayer in our lives. And so we are to pray with shameless audacity to ask God to work, but also not just expecting him to answer prayer, but being open-handed to, to say, okay, but how are you going to go about answering this prayer? Know a couple things about waiting on God to answer prayer. First, God's timetable is rarely in line and in sync with our own. We live in a microwave and instant answer uh, age, and that's just not how God operates on our hearts and minds. God's timetable is almost always slower than ours. Uh, if from our vantage point, we don't understand why he's not working yet. Uh, but just because he has not answered our prayers yet doesn't mean that he is not working. 
And then secondly, uh, that, that we need to be reminded that as we pray, first and foremost, it is about you and I being changed. It's not about just a magic uh, thing being done. It's about our own hearts being changed and transformed. And so maybe really you and I need to begin praying some different prayers, or at least with a renewed sense of passion, a renewed sense of shameless audacity to ask God to work in the lives of our neighbors. Now, I'm not saying that if you begin praying this way, that God is going to magically change your neighbor's heart. What I am saying is if we don't learn to pray this way, we're going to miss out on the change that God wants to see happen in the lives of others, that somehow that we get to participate in that and that it begins with prayer. And really, really, if we don't pray, we lose out on our identity. We lose out on our identity being first and foremost a blesser rather than a converter. And so we all have a part to play. But if we ask God to begin to work and to begin to step in and provide us opportunities, that's where we see blessing take place. And that God desires for us to be people who share our faith in graceful and in in relational and intentional, meaningful ways. Because we are called not just to be disciples, not just to follow Jesus, but the call for any and all followers of Jesus is to make disciples, to help other people begin following this journey of faith in their lives. That doesn't look like forcing other people to accept what we believe in in strong-arm tactics and and again, uh, unrelational ways that that we kind of just stuff things in in people's faces. Now, again, it looks like that first step of allowing our hearts to become more like God's heart for other people, that our, our identity would be shaped and changed to become more aligned with the heart of God. And so where do you and I begin if you're, if you're joining us today? Well, I want to speak first uh, to those of us who we're not sure where we are with faith. Maybe we're just like, I, you're not a Christian and you just, you're wondering about this stuff like, man, I, I don't think people should be sharing this with other people and bringing this up. Uh, can, can I give you a challenge. I would challenge you to find a Christian in your life, not like the meanest, weirdest Christian in your life, but like a Christian that you respect some aspect of their life. Maybe their work ethic, maybe their commitment to integrity and being an honest person, maybe just the way they interact with their kids or their spouse, but find another Christian and just ask them, hey, can I ask you like, why do you believe? Like, why are you a person of faith? And then also ask, like, hey, would it, would it be okay if I asked you my questions about faith? I'd really challenge you to do that because here's the thing. All you, you risk virtually nothing. The most likely outcome is that you are going to walk away with a little bit of a better friendship or relationship with somebody else. You're probably going to move from a kind of meme level understanding, a caricature of the Christian faith to a more real-life understanding of what Christians believe and and why faith is so central. Now, for those of us who have embraced faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to take this step, uh, that that you can access this card, um, this Who is My Neighbor card. And what we want you to do is just write down the names of nine neighbors in your life. This could be people who are literally on your block, like the nine houses around you. You might not know the names of the people that live in those homes. First thing is just to get to know their names. 
But this can work anywhere. This can, be, this can be in your classroom. This could be in your workplace. This could be at the gym. This could be a, a team that you're on. Uh, but, but wherever your neighbors are, write down the nine names of, of nine people that are around you that you have some uh, proximity to and begin praying daily for opportunities to be a blessing to those neighbors. Again, the thing I love about where we're going in this series is that you don't have to uh, just be crippled by fear and held back to, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. In fact, you don't need to say anything about your faith yet. What we want you to do is begin to pray for opportunities to be a blessing. Because when we do that, the opportunities to share faith happen naturally. They happen in the context of relationship. And we truly begin to, again, earn the right to be heard. And so we have nothing to lose, but we have everything to gain by being a blessing to our neighbors around us. Hey, take that next step in your faith journey this week and come back here next week. We're going to continue in our series, uh, Bless how to, again, love our neighbors and change our world. Have a great week. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at Rainier View CC and find out more about us at rainierview.org.